welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the Solemnity of St. Mary of the Cross, MacKillop. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, source of all goodness, who have shown us in St. Mary, a woman of faith living by the power of the cross. Teach us, we pray, by her example, to live the gospel in changing times and to respect and to defend the human dignity of all in our land. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the first book of Kings. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Up and go to Zarephath, a Sidonian town, and stay there. I have ordered a widow there to give you food. So he went off to Sidon. And when he reached the city gate, there was a widow gathering sticks. Addressing her, he said, Please bring me a little water in a vessel for me to drink. She was setting off to bring it when he called after her. Please, he said, bring me a scrap of bread in your hand, as the Lord your God lives. She replied, I have no baked bread, but only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am just gathering a stick or two to go and prepare this for myself and my son to eat, and then we shall die. But Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said. But first, make a little scone of it for me, and bring it to me, and then make some for yourself and for your son. For thus the Lord speaks, the God of Israel. Jar of meal shall not be spent. Jug of oil should not be emptied before the day when the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. The woman went and did as Elijah told her, and they ate the food, she himself and her son. The jar of meal was not spent, nor the jug of oil emptied, just as the Lord had foretold through Elijah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me fast. My soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me fast. O God, you are my God. For you I long. For you my soul is thirsting. My body pines for you like a dry, weary land without water. My soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me fast. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. For your love is better than life, my lips will speak your praise. My soul clings to you, your right hand holds me fast. So I will bless you all my life, so in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul shall be filled as with a banquet, my mouth shall praise you with joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand holds me fast. On my bed I remember you, on you I muse through the night, for you have been my help, in the shadow of your wings I rejoice. 
My soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me fast. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. As the chosen of God, the holy people whom he loves, you are to be clothed in heartfelt compassion, in generosity and humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with one another, forgive each other if one of you has a complaint against another. The Lord has forgiven you. Now you must do the same. Over all these clothes, put on love, the perfect bond, and may the peace of Christ reign in your hearts. Because it is for this that you were called together in one body, always be thankful. Let the word of Christ in all its richness find a home with you. Teach each other and advise each other in all wisdom. With gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms and hymns and inspired songs to God. And whatever you say or do, let it be in the name of the Lord Jesus, in thanksgiving to God the Father through Him. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Many women were there by the cross, watching from a distance, the same women who had followed Jesus and looked after Him. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm telling you not to worry about your life and what you are to eat, nor about your body and how you are to clothe it. Surely life means more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they are? Can any of you, for all his worrying, add one single cubit to his span of life? And why worry about clothing? Think about the flowers growing in the fields. They never have to work or spin. Yet I assure you that not even Solomon in all his regalia was robed like one of these. Now, if that is how God clothes the grass in the field, which is there today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow... Will he not much more look after you, you men of little faith? So do not worry. Do not say, what are we to eat, what are we to drink, how are we to be clothed? It's the pagans who set their hearts on all these things. Your father knows you need them all. Set your hearts on his kingdom first and on his righteousness, and all these other things will be given you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Because St Mary of the Cross MacKillop is the first Australian saint, her feast day is celebrated here as a solemnity. So when it comes on a Sunday, when the 8th of August falls on a Sunday... Even the Sunday liturgy gets put aside to celebrate the Feast of St. Mary of the Cross, MacKillop. Now, I suppose even people who don't know terribly much about St. Mary of the Cross, MacKillop, would at least know one fact about her. That she was excommunicated. She was excommunicated for a period of about five months and uh, excommunicated here in Adelaide by one of the former bishops of Adelaide, Bishop Lawrence Scheele. And a lot's been written about the cause for the excommunication, 
Uh, a lot of it had to do with uh, a very significant rivalry that had grown up between uh, some of the Adelaide priests and the Sisters of St. Joseph. There was a Father Keating who was the parish priest at Kapunda in the Barossa Valley. Uh, and uh, there were a number of accusations that were made against him of inappropriate behaviour that saw him sent back to Ireland. Uh, and his friend, Father Horan, who was also a Franciscan, like Father Keating, saw the main culprits as Father Julian Tennyson Woods, Mother Mary of the Cross MacKillop, and the other Josephite sisters. I suppose one of the other problems too was that the foundation of the Josephites was pretty unique at the time. I mean, these weren't sisters who were confined to a cloister praying all day. They were out. They were among the people. They were among the poor. They were sent to remote places. They were sent to start schools. They were sent to teach those who had no chance of an education. And I suppose an institute like that for a bishop, probably a bit hard to control. And at the time of the excommunication, one of the big things that Bishop Shield was striving to do was to change the constitution of the institute. But whatever about the historical reasons for the excommunication, um, take a moment and put yourself in Mary's shoes. She'd opened the first school in Panola on the 19th of March on the Feast of St. Joseph in 1866. She was 24 years old. Uh, and from there she set about producing the constitutions for the Sisters of St. Joseph, establishing the order. And by 1869, there were 70 sisters teaching in 21 schools in Adelaide and in the surrounding country. Extraordinary. She was excommunicated on Friday the 22nd of September in 1871. She was 29 years old. And I'd like to read to you a little bit about the account of her excommunication and something of her own words. Listen to this. The bishop waited in the community room until the sisters from the Providence Orphanage and Convent were assembled. Sister Mary then entered the room and knelt for his lordship's blessing, which he did not give her, but sternly ordered her to kneel before him. She at once obeyed. Mary wrote of this to Julian. That's Father Julian Tennyson Woods. I felt confused, lonely and bewildered. It was an intense relief when the bishop ordered me to kneel down, I do not know how long I knelt there facing the bishop and four priests with all my sisters standing round. I knew they were there, but saw no one, and I think I was trying to pray. But I forget a lot until we were in the oratory, and I was once more kneeling out alone. I really felt like one in a dream. Then we hear this description of the event. One of the priests suggested that it would be better to go to the oratory, and his lordship ordered all to go there and followed himself with the clergy. 
he had his mitre and crozier. He ordered Sister Mary to kneel before him and said, on account of her disobedience and rebellion, he had to pronounce on her the awful sentence of excommunication. Sister Teresa then came forward and knelt beside her. As soon as the bishop noticed this, he said, Who is that? Get out of that. The sister then rose at once and returned to her place in the choir. He then pronounced the sentence of excommunication over Sister Mary. Being finished, he said, You are now Mary MacKillop, free to return to the world. A large proportion of the wickedness of which you have, I fear, brought with you into this institute. Mary summed up her feelings at this moment. I think I seemed not to realise the presence of the bishop and priests. I know I did not see them, but I felt, oh, such a love for their office. A love and sort of reverence for the very sentence which I knew was being in full force passed upon me. I do not know how to describe the feeling, but that I was intensely happy and felt nearer to God than I had ever felt before. I can only dimly remember the things that were said to me. But the sensation of the calm, beautiful presence of God, I shall never forget. I've been told that some of the priests have since expressed their surprise at my silence. But Father, I solemnly declare that the power or even the desire of speaking was not given to me. I loved the bishop and priests, the church, and my good God, then more than ever. I did not feel alone, but I cannot describe the calm, beautiful something that was near. It was like waking to a painful, disagreeable reality when I felt Sister Paula's arms round my neck and heard her wild screams. Now, take a moment to consider what that excommunication meant for Mary MacKillop. She'd been judged guilty of gross insubordination, and had effectively been chucked out of the church. And that meant that she couldn't stay on church property anymore. So she had to leave the convent. The sisters had to leave the convent. They were effectively left homeless, which meant that they had to seek refuge from non-Catholics. Most painful still was Mother Mary of the Cross was barred from the sacraments. For five long months, Mary MacKillop languished in this excommunicated condition. It was finally lifted by Bishop Scheele after... He kind of came to his senses and realised that he'd been manipulated by other clergy. Uh, And he lifted the excommunication a week before he died. Talk about squeezing it in at the last minute. In fact, shortly after Bishop Scheele had died, Mother Mary wrote this to Father Julian Tennyson Woods. She wrote, Our poor bishop died such a beautiful and happy death, so full of love for all and so deeply penetrated with the thought of God's mercy and love. I fear you are grieving, but no, my dear father, we should now rejoice over the great grace God, in the end, gave him. Wow. Talk about forgiveness. 
I think we all would have understood if Mary MacKillop had just told Bishop Shield to drop dead. But what fascinates me is this experience of peaceful calm that Mary MacKillop had precisely at the moment of her excommunication. How's that even possible? But, you know, I think the secret's in her name. Mary of the Cross MacKillop. That was her religious name. And her life has always been deeply associated with the cross. But I think it's easy for us to misunderstand. I think so often when we think about our cross, carrying the cross, following Jesus as we carry our cross, that that the focus falls very much on the suffering. I mean, that's what it means to carry a cross, right? To be under strain, under stress, under difficulty. And that we need perseverance and courage in order to continue. But I think we need to remember that the cross is the place of trust. From the moment of his agony in the garden, Jesus prays earnestly, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Knowing that this cup will not pass from him, Jesus knows that God is his loving Father. And as he carries his cross, he does not doubt that in the face of his own torment and suffering and death, that he is in the Father's hands. In fact, that's how he breathes his last. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The cross exposes a deep contradiction, suffering and pain, but a father of love. And the one who carries the cross, the one who hangs upon the cross, does not allow the pain to shake that loving trust in God, who is father, who is the giver of life. And I think that's what Mary McKillop's doing at the moment of her excommunication. She is indeed Mary of the cross. She knows God to be a loving father. She knows God to be the one who is provident and generous and merciful. I think this is why the readings for her feast day are so focused on God's goodness and on his providence. We hear about Elijah being fed by the widow of Zarephath, there being next to nothing for anyone to eat, and yet the jars of flour and oil are never spent. We hear about Jesus proclaiming the providence of God, that he feeds the birds of the air, he clothes the grass of the field, and therefore cares for us. And gives us life because we are worth so much more than the grass which is here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow. We're worth so much more than the sparrows that God is attentive to feed. The courageous life of St. Mary of the Cross MacKillop exposes her incredible faith and trust in God, even in the face of the cross. How extraordinary it is then that at the moment when her bishop, 
who should have been her greatest supporter, the clergy who should have been incredibly grateful for their mission to the church, when they stand and excommunicate her, she feels at peace. She feels a closeness with God. Let's face it, this moment of excommunication was just the beginning of a great suffering. And the fact is, we know that it was temporary. We know that it would last only five months. But she didn't. Being turfed out of the convent, she said simply in the words of Jesus, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There were many who came to Mary MacKillop's aid during this time of excommunication. Famously, the Jesuits at Norwood would continue to support her. So would Father Reynolds, who would later become Archbishop of Adelaide. And countless lay people, especially non-Catholics. Under such great trial, what did Mary do? Trust. And what did God do? Provide. I think the cross is the place of trust. The place from which we commend our souls into the hands of God. I'll finish with the last little quote from Mary. She said this, The cross is my portion. It is also my sweet rest and support. I could not be happy without my cross. I could not lay it down for all the world would give. With the cross I am happy, but without it would be lost. The only way I have of trying to show my gratitude to God for all that he has done for those I love and for us all in general is in the cross. But I often fail in bearing it as I ought and will do so still unless I am wonderfully aided by the prayers of others. What a strange paradox to love the cross. And it would be utter nonsense unless it were the place from which we learned how to trust God. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.